Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 670 with Darlene DeRosa. Darlene has some pro tips and keys and principles for leading successful virtual teams. You'll learn one, the quickest way to build trust in your team. Two, how to ensure accountability with the ATC model. And three, simple but effective ways to keep your team motivated. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, I recommend you drop by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP670. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I also recommend you check out our Gold Nugget email summaries, which give you the quick wisdom from each of our guests in an email you can read in about three minutes. Now, here's Darlene's story. Darlene DeRosa, PhD, is a consultant at Spencer Stewart's Stanford office and a core member of the Life Sciences and Leadership Advisory Services Practices. Darlene brings more than 15 years of consulting experience with deep expertise in talent management, executive assessment, virtual teams, top team effectiveness, and leadership development. Darlene works with leading companies to facilitate selection, succession management, and leadership development initiatives. She's a trusted advisor to CEOs, CHROs, and boards. Darlene earned her BA in psychology from the College of the Holy Cross and her MA and PhD in social organizational psychology from Temple University. Darlene is the co-author of Virtual Success, a practical guide for working and leading from a distance, as well as other book chapters and journal articles on leadership. Big thanks to Darlene for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Darlene. Darlene, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for hosting me. Oh, certainly. Well, I'm excited to hear about leading at a distance insights. But first, I want to hear about your love for deep sea fishing. (laughs) I knew you were going to ask that. Well, people don't know this, and they're often very surprised for whatever reason. I'm not going to read into that, but (laughs) I love deep sea fishing. And wherever I go, whether it's Hawaii, here in Connecticut, we charter boats and we love to go fishing. And I probably go six or seven times a year. I don't always catch anything crazy. I've never caught a marlin or anything fantastic, but it is something that I love to do. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I've had fond memories. I think I've been deep sea fishing exactly once for a bachelor party and the father of the bride fell into the water and it was a <laughs> heroic rescue. So that story, you make memories when you go on those trips. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to hear, we're talking about leading at a distance. Can you share what's perhaps one of the most surprising or counterintuitive discoveries you've made while researching this stuff and putting things together? Yeah, it's a great question. 
And so what's very interesting is I wrote a book on virtual teams in 2011. And my co-author, Jim Citrin, keeps reminding me that that is the most, at that time, it was a very obscure topic, even though, as you know, companies have been working remotely for quite some time, especially big companies Mm -hmm. that are more complex and more global in nature. So what was surprising, I guess most surprising to me, is that a lot hasn't changed. I mean, yes, technology, of course, has evolved and, and, you know, business is more complex and more dynamic, certainly. But in general, what's fascinating is that a lot of the best practices that we learned way back 10 years ago actually hold true now and have just become even more important. And so that's very interesting uh, to me, that there's not a lot of major profound differences in what we found. Mm -hmm. Well, that is noteworthy in and of itself. You'd think we, as workers, would have learned a couple of lessons in a decade. So share with us what are some of those foundational things that are still at play and maybe overlooked? Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, there's a number of things and we tried to make the book really practical. What I really wanted to do here was have a practical hands-on guide for anyone, anyone who's who's managing telecommuters, whether you're managing remote teams, whether you're a CEO who's managing, you know, a large complex organization with distributed employees. So we wanted to make it very pragmatic. And, and, And interestingly, the topics range from everything like how do you build trust remotely to how do you coach and hold people accountable who you don't see. But one of the things that hasn't changed, as I was mentioning, even from our early research in 2010, is what we found is that back then anyway, the best-in-class leaders who are managing remotely do a great job balancing the relationship side of things, the interpersonal components, with the tasks and sort of execution-oriented behaviors. In other words, they don't overly weight any one of those, and they're really good at managing that big continuum. So it's a big, complex role. And what we do know is that managing virtually is hard. It's harder than managing people who are co-located in the same room. And leaders have really had to adapt a lot, especially in this current environment where you're leading through technology. But that the best-in-class leaders really do a great job at that that balancing that continuum. And we call that ramp. So we we frame it as the best-in-class leaders are really good at relationships, which is the R. They hold people accountable, which is the A. They know how to motivate people through a screen, basically, people they don't see or through a phone. And they can use process, things like technology, which is the P, to engage and try to replicate what they would do if they were in person. So that's one framework that a lot of our clients find practical, but like the fact that it's research-based and comes from data on what differentiates best-in-class virtual leaders. Mm -hmm. And could you tell us a cool story about a virtual leader who was struggling and then employed some of this stuff and had a transformation? Absolutely. So we have a number of those. But um, one of the things, and again, this it's surprising how we fall back on some of our bad behaviors, right? And we all do this. We all succumb to sort of those those bad habits. One of the things that, especially in, in COVID now, I think people have gotten better, but we were working with the CHRO of a global hospitality company, and he was so focused on results And he had a very large distributed team. And one of the things that he wasn't really cognizant of was how do you build relationships and trust with with your team members, but also with one another. And so we talked to him about here's some ways on that ramp continuum to focus on building trust 
And how do you um, infuse collaboration and relationships from a distance? And so he started doing simple things. I mean, things that you would think, well, we should all be doing that anyway. Like once or twice a week, he blocked time in his calendar proactively to just give people feedback. He had recognition sessions to thank people on the team. He also would call people, and he actually called these care calls, where he would randomly call people and just check in. No agenda, no real like need, but just to say, hey, how can I support you? And his engagement scores and the team's performance over a period of time, of course, changed dramatically and were much more positive. So again, it's a good example of like, if we focus too much on any one thing, and we're not very balanced in how we engage and lead, it can become almost like a strength overdone. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hear some of those best practice approaches there for each of those four components, the relationships, the accountability, the motivation, and the process. What are some top things people should start doing and stop doing? Yeah, so on relationships, and this is by far when we ask people, what is the biggest challenge you're facing in, in our most recent survey for the book? It was that sense of connectivity. So in other words, if I were to bump into you in the hallway, Pete, and, or like at, in the lunchroom, we could have that spontaneous interaction and virtually you don't have that, it's lacking. And so some of our clients have started using apps like Donut, which sounds a little funny, but what it does is it randomly pairs employees with one another all around the world for 15 minutes, you know, once or twice a month, and it allows you to create that spontaneous interaction. And some people might think that's a little strange, but it really does replicate. And again, it's one example of replicating what you would do if you were in person. So having a lot of these virtual lunches, building time into your meetings for water cooler conversation. The chief technology officer that we interviewed at Starbucks for the book talked about she started using fun warm-ups at the beginning of her calls, playing Kahoot, doing Wordles or Pictionary, putting people in breakouts to do really fun activities. It's those simple things that really go a long way for relationships. So those are just a few examples. Again, simple, but highly effective. And I don't think I've ever played Kahoot before. What does this consist of? Yeah, they're like little quizzes and you could make them up. Could be on, they're all random topics. They're just little fun games. And again, it sounds crazy, but it's just something to get people to get to know one another. Because when you're building trust virtually, it takes a lot longer. So what we tell leaders is the one thing you can control when you're working virtually is what's called task-based trust. In other words, the most important thing as a leader when you're managing remotely is to help your people get to know one another and find that they are credible and they're gonna deliver on commitments. And that's really important. And actually this trust is different in a virtual setting. So basically invest in building that task-based trust early on and it will go a long way because it takes a long time to build interpersonal trust when you're not face-to-face. So that's just, again, a very simple technique, but something that best-in-class virtual leaders consistently apply. And so when it comes to building task-based trust, I guess I'm not quite seeing a connection between how the games accomplishes that or are there additional practices for accelerating that? Yeah, well, I mean, it gets people to know familiarity with your background, who you are as a person, your experiences. So a lot of the games can be around getting to know people. So it sounds like it's task-based, but the idea is that it helps build credibility and our simple ways, again, everything together builds trust, but creating fun, 
not focusing so much on the work and focusing more on the people is really, really critical. So again, we're not telling people don't focus on interpersonal trust virtually, but if you want to get the biggest ROI, initially helping people learn about one another's backgrounds. Again, it could be fun games. It could be little polls in your virtual meetings. Those things have a tremendous impact on trust. Well, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, maybe it's a matter of the terminology we're using here, but it seems like if we're getting to know each other better, I mean, that's fun. That, that has some connection. I know there's a face and a name and a person and a story behind that. I guess I'm not quite seeing how that makes me think, and that guy's going to rock out and deliver on the thing I'm going to ask of him or her. Yeah, well, it definitely is the fun component. And that's what I was starting to talk about early when I mentioned the relationship building piece, the R and ramp. But again, it's almost like it has a dual purpose, right? And so when people are playing those fun games, especially if people are just getting to know one another, because basically, no matter what, people are sharing their experiences, who they are through these polls, these chat exercises. Um, a lot of our clients do fun chats in their meetings, things like, what's the first thing you can't wait to do after COVID? What's your favorite hobby? So it is a way to get to know one another. And sometimes the questions are around projects, which is very linked to task-based trust. So again, when we think of trust virtually, it's the combination of task-based trust and interpersonal trust that matters, but it's easier and quicker to focus on the task-based trust early on. And you can do that through building people's credibility, and helping people get to know their colleagues. Mm -hmm. Okay, certainly. And then when it comes to accountability, how do we make that all the better? So this is actually a pretty hot topic virtually because as you can imagine, it's hard to know what people are doing. And so the biggest mistake that we see leaders make is they don't trust and empower their employees. And now COVID has been a great example because in many industries, productivity is actually up right now. It could be masking extreme burnout and fatigue, which is actually well publicized right now. But in all seriousness, many people are productive. And I think this, this COVID environment right now has led some leaders who are very skeptical about working virtually to realize that it actually can work. And one mistake that leaders make is they're so focused on when people work. Is it nine to five? Are they available? Are they doing something with their kids when they're supposed to be working? And that actually is a myth. And people will be productive, but you have to empower them and find ways to check in and hold them accountable, of course. But just by empowering them alone, you get higher levels of productivity. So you've got to change your metrics with, with accountability. You can't look at when people are working. You have to look at their output which is much more important. And that's why many companies have now started to really change the way they measure performance because it's much different in a virtual setting. Mm -hmm. Certainly. So the clock is not going to be your guide in terms of seeing are people performing well. And so what are some of the best approaches to do those check-ins and see the output flowing? Yeah. I mean, some companies use software and different technologies to help measure output. But in general, what I, the advice that I give leaders is you have to work harder at setting very clear goals for people. And one of the things we know is more challenging virtually is making sure that people understand the priorities. So in a more dynamic virtual setting, priorities shift. And if you're not seeing people in the office where you could do a quick check-in with them, you've got to find ways to replicate that virtually. So setting clear goals 
and then being clear about what good looks like, what's the deliverable, what's the timeline, and then having checkpoints to actually check in with people. And we call this the ATC model. Again, lots of models today, Pete, but we call this the ATC model because it's simple and people get it. And what we tell people is much like an air traffic controller who's managing numerous flights, you've got to help your people manage a tremendous workload and priorities that are shifting you know, fairly quickly. So the A is really being clear about what it looks like, you know, what's the what's the product and um, being super clear about that with people up front. So what's the action and who's accountable? Sometimes we see leaders say the team should do this, but no one really knows who's actually on point for that and who's taking full ownership. The T is timetable. So is it next quarter? Is it May 1st? Like what's the real deadline and being very clear about that? And then finally, checkpoints, which is the most important in my opinion, is depending on the tenure and experience of that employee, you may need to check in with them more or less frequently, but actually have a conversation with the person to say, here's what we're going to be working on. When should we touch base? Would it make sense to touch base in two weeks, next week? And for people who you've known for a long time and might be high performers, you might not need as many checkpoints. For others where they might, this might be a newer task or a developmental task, you might need to check in more frequently. So the ATC model is a very simple way to make sure that you're setting people up for success virtually. Okay. And so you mentioned some software tools, and I find that intriguing because I guess it will probably vary quite a bit based on what work you're doing, but it's really kind of hard to measure one's true value-add contribution with, uh, I don't know, like if I were to say, hey, lines of code as a metric or words produced or invoices processed, in some ways um, that could be counterproductive to have automated software kind of counting that sort of thing. So what are the software solutions and what are they doing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is things like Teams, which now has a lot of um, like optionality in there for tracking projects and milestones and things like that. A lot of clients use Basecamp as one example, but it's less about tracking like literally what you're doing and more about helping the team members stay on track together when they're working virtually. So it's much more collaborative to help track and measure the team's performance. So to store documents, to have the timeline up there, to keep track of things, to have version control for things that people might be working on together. So technology has continued to evolve significantly, as you know, over the last decade. And I think it will continue to evolve even more in the next five or six years alone. So those are just some simple things that some organizations are using, but clearly depending on the role, the complexity of the job and the industry, there's a lot of variability. You know, professional services, that's, you know, that's not how we're measured, right? It's We're measured on how we deliver to clients, we're measured on our productivity, but, you know, we have internal software to track that, just as one example. Mm-hmm. All right. And how about the motivation? Yeah. So I love this topic because this is very challenging virtually. So first of all, you've got to set people up for success. But what we do know is that motivation takes on a a different meaning virtually. It's harder. Virtual colleagues and employees face very unique challenges. And, And you probably have seen this in this year alone, where it's particularly difficult for people because people are feeling isolated. There's much less work life balance with the blur, you know, between work and home being gone. So managers have to think differently and really try to be proactive at checking in with people. 
people are exhausted and people are burnt out. Again, I'm making a generalization, but this is pretty well documented in all the research. So encouraging people to take breaks and schedule time for their own personal development is very important. Don't have meetings just to have a meeting. Having meetings for status updates is one of my pet peeves, and it's, it's very unproductive. Encouraging people to get off video. Nonstop video or that Zoom fatigue that you've probably read about, Pete, is real because it's cognitively draining to sit there and stand at a camera all day. So encouraging people to take a walk and just talk on the phone is really good. Again, these are just a few simple ideas, but really checking in with people depending on where they are in their own personal development journey is important. And finding time and encouraging people to make time for non-work interaction, the, the, the relationship piece that I talked about is really important. The other thing that's very important virtually is you've got to recognize people. So clearly recognition is important, but many leaders are so busy that they're not doing it proactively. So one tip I'll give to senior leaders that I'm coaching is block time in your calendar, even if it's once a month, and call it your time to recognize people. Send handwritten notes. You can send gift cards, you know, a Grubhub gift card, for example. Again, it doesn't have to be monetary. Just send someone a text to thank them. It's simple things that really go a long way to recognize the team. One of my clients, it's a pharma company, they have guest speakers come in. They have recognition sessions where they actually get the team to talk about like a colleague who's been helpful to them. And again, it sounds really simple, but these are critical drivers of motivation when you're working remotely. All right, thank you. And how about process? So process, I mean, the most simple thing about process is technology. I mean, that's what we think about. So there's a bunch of processes that fit in the P, but the one that's probably most relevant here is match your technology to your task. So I talked earlier about you know using technology well. What we learned is that best-in-class virtual teams don't necessarily have the most sophisticated technology. They just know how to use it. So really, as a leader, what's most important is if you're going to have a meeting, don't have a meeting for a status update. That's just one simple example. Don't use email to coach someone. And again, sounds crazy, but I see this all the time. So you've got to be very thoughtful when you're working virtually about how do you, you use technology appropriately depending on what your goal is and what you're trying to accomplish. So if you're going to have a tough conversation with someone or you're going to give someone feedback, do it by video or phone, obviously. You know, it has to be that high-touch environment. So really being thoughtful about that and making sure that teams are not overwhelmed by technology, that everyone's using the same thing, that's very important. So those are just a few quick examples. But the, this idea of Zoom fatigue is very real. And I don't know if you've seen like the articles in Forbes and Fortune and the Times. HBR actually had an article on this. Basically, people are sick of video. And I think many organizations went to the extreme with video in COVID because they were unsure how to connect with people. But being thoughtful about video, encouraging people to take breaks. Some of our clients are doing video-free Fridays or video-free half days. So for those of us who are on video nonstop, it actually really matters. So being thoughtful about how people are working is really important. Okay, well, could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So I think one of my favorite quotes, if I had to pick one, is from this book, Illusions by Richard Bach. 
And it's this quote that says something like, not verbatim, but something like, every person, all the events of your life are there because you've drawn them there, and what you choose to do with them is up to you. And I love that because throughout my career as a psychologist, I really believe that we have some control over how we respond to things, how we handle stress, how we handle all of those types of things that really build our resilience. So I've loved that quote even from, you know, more than a decade ago. Mm -hmm. And could you share a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I think one of the ones that has been the most profound for me was one that that I read about in grad school. So a long time ago when I was doing my dissertation on virtual teamwork, and it was a study that looked at trust and how do you build trust virtually? It's exactly what I was talking about before. It was one of the first studies. It was pretty old at that time even, but it still rings true about how do you build that swift trust or that task-based trust virtually and that it's actually more important. And that, again, it's interesting because I never realized way back then, how much of this would be part of what I do day to day, you know, many years later, this idea of studying virtual teams and helping leaders be more successful remotely. Mm -hmm. And could you share a favorite book? One of the books that I love that has been profound in my CEO succession practice is The Leadership Pipeline, mostly because I've always been fascinated with how do you identify high potential leaders? So that's always, besides the virtual team stuff that I do, that's a huge part of my work. And I've been fascinated with how do you identify people who have potential to do more? What does that really look like? And then building assessments around that. So it is a bit specific, but it also has been a big part of, of the work that I've been doing over the last decade. Well, I'm just kind of curious, what are some of the top telltale signs that someone has great potential? Yeah, it's a good question. And one that we're, we continue to try to evolve on, Pete, over time, but definitely people who take initiative, which isn't a surprise, people who are engaged and advocate for their organization, people who have learning agility, which is one of the most important predictors of leadership potential. So someone who's put in unfamiliar situations who can really thrive. And then lastly, someone who's self-aware. So self-awareness, and then they're able to flex and adapt and learn very quickly. So I think, again, these are just some of the dimensions that I think are quite well documented when we think about what really defines people who have the potential to do more over time. Mm -hmm. And a favorite tool? Honestly, right now, video conferencing, because I, besides all the virtual team stuff that I do, I am on video every day. So using Microsoft Teams and other technologies, I, I use constantly, but the other thing that I do, and I've been using a lot more, I'm not sure if you're familiar with these tools, but in a lot of my training work where I do leadership development with top teams and companies, we are, we've been experimenting and using collaborative software technologies to help teams brainstorm, share ideas, whiteboard, and also have fun while they're working together in our leadership development virtual classrooms. So we've been using tools like Mural and Miro which are really fun, innovative, collaborative tools that help people. It almost replicates what you do if you had people around a conference room table. So I love those too. Okay. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you frequently? I think one of the things, um, this was in an article that I wrote in the Wall Street Journal years ago, and it was this idea of out of sight, but not out of mind. And it's the notion at that time when I was writing this article it was something that I said and is now very widely quoted, 
And at the time, I was writing about how do you, as a leader, own your career? And even if you're not in the same office or geography as your boss, how do you win over a boss who's remote? And I started talking about this idea of out of sight, but not out of mind. You've got to work a little harder at it. And I do really believe, and it's a great lesson for all of us, that being virtual or hybrid in this kind of half, some of us in the office, some of us not, really requires more initiative and ownership as like us managing our time, managing our calendars and taking initiative to reach out and not just rely on our boss or manager reaching out to us. And I think that's really important. And I think it's actually more true than ever because most organizations, about 80% of companies are going to land in what we call a hybrid environment where you've got some people in the office and some people at home. And frankly, that is the most challenging environment to manage in because of lack of equity, you know, some people feeling like they're not next to their boss, they might not get cool projects or they might not get promoted. So that is the hardest model to manage in, but it's going to be the one where most organizations land. And so I think this idea of trying to create an even playing field is going to be really critical for all of us as leaders in the next decade. Okay. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? They can go to my LinkedIn page. They can go to the Spencer Stewart website. We're actually going to be putting up um, some pretty cool self-assessments and technologies that people, or quizzes rather, that people can use as the book launches. So the Spencer Stewart has a leading at a distance page that people can go to as well. Okay. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be all Spencer jobs? I would say get feedback. That is something that I believe is true. Again, super simple, but let me end with this one statistic. In our first study in 2011, this was based on 50 global virtual teams that we ended up publishing in the book. More than two-thirds of the leaders were not seen as effective by their boss and other stakeholders, and they had no idea. So the biggest learning, again, under this idea of taking initiative and really owning your, your own career, it's important to ask for feedback. And most of us don't do it because we don't want to hear it necessarily. But even if you don't want to hear it, people might be thinking it. And so what I would encourage us to do is to step outside of our comfort zone and check in with people more because it's more important in a virtual setting where you can actually course correct and make some improvements. All right, Darlene, this has been a treat. I wish you all the best as you lead from a distance. All right, thanks so much, Pete. Appreciate it. I really appreciated Darlene's perspective about not always just defaulting to the Zoom and sometimes being on the phone and taking a walk, it makes all the difference. I love to get my Bluetooth headphones going. And just this week, I was scheduled for a video call. And I said, hey, could we do the phone instead? And he said, sure. And I was strolling through an arboretum in the Nashville area while having the meeting and smelling some good things and seeing some cool trees. Beautiful. So give a thought. Is Zoom best? It would phone in some ways be better, even though you can't see them. You're getting to walk to rejuvenate in that way. So great stuff from Darlene. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP670. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. 
Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.